The Word of God says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Let's read that once more. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for this day. Uh, Lord, I thank You for what You've done in hearts. I pray tonight that Your Son would be lifted up, magnified, as we believe He was this morning. I pray that You'd help us to hear Your Word. Not just to have it preached at us, but to hear it, to receive it. And I pray that the Holy Ghost would apply it in our lives. Father, do the work that only You can do in our hearts. We'll be sure to give You the glory for it. And we ask all this in the precious name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Just a short verse in Scripture, but what a promise that is given to us in these passages. Of course, if you're a student of the Bible, and really even if you're not, you could probably pick up just in a moment that what we're speaking about, what God's speaking about in this passage, is the soon coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You cannot deny, if you're scripturally honest, you cannot deny the truth of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. You'll find it all through the Word of God. Not just in a few passages in the Pauline epistles. Not just uh, the culmination and His glorious appearing in the book of Revelation. But all through the Word of God. You'll find it in typical truths, in prophetic truths, in practical truths. There is a, uh, a, an ongoing message throughout the Word of God that Jesus is coming back and He's coming soon. I was listening this afternoon to my pastor growing up. And uh, one of the things that struck me that he said, he was preaching on the Lord's return. And as I listened to this recording, he said, you know, there's not very many looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. And uh, that struck me as odd when I first heard him say that on the recording. Uh, and then he explained a little bit. He said, oh, lots of folks say they're looking. He said, but if folks were really expecting Jesus to come back tonight, he said, this church house would be packed you couldn't get near it, let alone get in it. I believe that's true, don't you? But just as there were very few looking for His first coming, there are very few that are looking for His second coming. And yet in this Scripture before us, we're given an ironclad promise, and the promises of God are all true, that He is coming and that He's coming soon. It's a very simple passage of Scripture, but can I give you three things that it gave to me you know, we ought to get something from Scripture. Don't you believe that? We ought to get help from it. And there's three things that struck me as I read this passage of Scripture. Let me give them to you very quickly. Let me say, first off, that when I read this Scripture, I get an understanding of the times. You see, I look around me and I understand a little bit more of what's going on when I read this passage before me. Let me explain why. Because first off, I see in this passage a statement of prophecy. You see, when the writer of the book of Hebrews says for yet a little while, he's saying a mouthful. Do you understand that when this was written at the dawn, so to speak, of the church age, at the beginning of the church age, when he says yet a little while, that little while so far has been almost 2,000 years. And yet we see that this phrase, yet a little while, is somewhat of an idiom and it's, it is referring and reflecting the idea of a biblical dispensational period of time. Can I give you another phrase that defines it? We find it in the Word of God. Let me read it to you. In Luke chapter 21, verses 23 and 24, Christ said this, But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Speaking of the great tribulation period. It says, For there shall be great distress in the land, 
and wrath upon this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captives into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. This phrase is very important, the times of the Gentiles. It denotes the period in time in which the Jewish people would be scattered. That happened in 70 A.D. when Titus, who would later go on to be the Roman emperor, was just a general and they laid siege to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was trodden underfoot. And uh, the Jews were scattered. They'd already been scattered in what historians call the diaspora, uh, the persecution that had uh, taken place and a scattering. But uh, now in 70 A.D., the city of Jerusalem is, for all practical intents and purposes, laid waste. And the Jewish people are scattered uh, to the four winds of the earth, to the four corners of the earth. And uh, for almost 2,000 years, they stayed scattered. Then we know from history... Uh, that in the earlier part of the 1900s, they began to come back to the land. We know that in 1948, that Israel was established as a nation. Uh, we know that uh, the UN, uh, the United States, and then, then the, uh, the nations at large began to recognize Israel. But do you know we live in a day now where the nations are turning against Israel? We live in the times of the Gentiles. We live in this dispensational period of time in which God would, so to speak, hit the stopwatch on His dealings with the Jewish people They would be trodden underfoot. They would be scattered to the corners of the earth. And this little while that God would allow for the times of the Gentiles, I believe, is just about up. You see, this is a very important phrase. This isn't just uh, flippant language. None of God's language is. And can I say to you that the best description we can get of when Jesus is coming is yet a little while. Yet a little while. How long is that little while? Well, it could just be a moment. And it could have been a moment in Paul's day, too. That's what it means when the Bible says the return of Christ is is imminent. That no man knoweth the day nor the hour. Not even the sun knoweth the hour. You know, you hear people say this, and and I understand what they mean, so don't, don't get angry with me. But I hear people say, well, I see prophecies being fulfilled all around. And I'd say, well, no, you don't. (laughs) Because everything on God's prophetic calendar and timetable that has to be performed for Jesus to return was performed whenever the Scriptures were done being written in approximately 90 A.D. Jerusalem had already been trodden underfoot. Now, I know what people mean. We'll say a minute, uh, here in a minute, about the situation of this world. I mean, I, I can look around. I'm not blind. But understand that all the things that are taking place, those aren't prophecies being fulfilled. Now, God did say that evil men and seducers would wax worse and worse. Didn't He say that? And that is taking place. But you can't call that a right and proper prophecy. Because uh, evil men and seducers have always been waxing worse and worse and worse. You see, everything has been complete. Paul said, we wait for the appearing of his dear son. It could happen at any moment. We don't have to wait till a temple is rebuilt for Jesus to come back. We don't have to wait until uh, something happens over in Israel for Jesus to come back. Everything has been settled and ready for Christ to come back ever since Scripture was closed. You say, well, what about the Jewish nation? I've heard folks talk about the fig tree. And, I, and listen, if, you, if you've spent any kind of years listening to prophetic preaching, I'm going to make you mad here in a second. You ready? I, I hear people talking all the time about the fig tree in the book of Matthew. When uh, uh, hear the parable of the fig tree, that uh, when, when it's uh, tender and putteth forth its leaf, you know that summer is nigh. I've heard people say that that is representative of national Israel. And that that's representative of Israel coming back in the land. Well, here's the only problem with that. 
the fig is nowhere a type of national Israel in the Word of God. You won't find a consistent truth. Now, there's times you can make that application. But it's not as though, you see, a preacher can get up and say, well, that's picture national Israel, it's picture national Israel, and that sounds good. Most folks don't know the Bible ain't will say anything to them about it. But the fact is, that's not at all what that parable is talking about. Christ in Matthew chapter 24, uh, oh boy, we're just having a theology lesson. Christ in Matthew chapter 24, the vast majority of Matthew chapter 24 is dealing with the tribulation period. Wars and rumors of wars, that's dealing with the tribulation period. That's not dealing with this day of grace that we live in. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not blind. I can look around. I can see the turmoil this world is in. I, I mean, it's like a boiling pot. And I do believe Jesus is coming soon. But I don't have to twist Scripture out of context to believe that because the Bible teaches His return is imminent. It could happen at any moment. You see, in the book of Matthew, he's writing primarily to the Jewish people as their king who he's speaking to them as. And in Matthew chapter 24, he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the glorious appearing that's going to take place. And he's not talking uh, to those that will be raptured out. He's talking to those that are going to be left behind during that period of time that are Jews, ethnically, nationally. And he's saying, listen, when you see these things, look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. When you see these things happen, flee into the hills. How many of you ever heard a preacher get up and talk about the passage where it says uh, that one, will, you know, two will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left? And you probably heard a preacher get up and say, oh, that's the rapture. Well, here's the problem, friend. That's not the rapture. Because if you go to the parallel account of that in Luke chapter number 17, the disciples ask an interesting question. He says that two will be there, one will be taken, the other left. And he says, where, Lord? Where? That's what the apostles said. Where, Lord? Look at it in your Bible sometime. Where, Lord? Well, now, what's he asking? He's not, gonna, he's not asking where is the one going to be left. That'd be a dumb question. Amen. Going to be left right where they're at. Saying... Where are they going to be taken? And Christ says, Whithersoever the carcass is, thither shall the eagles be gathered together. That passage is not talking about folks getting raptured out. That passage is talking about the persecution that's going to be so great against the Jews in that day that without warning, much like during the Holocaust, I mean, listen, you just, uh, you just had a gold star on your chest. You might be the next one picked. You might not. You never knew. And it'll be the same way during the tribulation period. Uh, just that random Jews being killed and persecuted. That's what it's talking about. You say, what does the Bible teach about the signs of the coming of the kingdom of God? Well, the Bible says of the kingdom of heaven that there's these signs, but of the kingdom of God, it says that the kingdom of God cometh not with signs. Now, what Christ said. So what are you driving at, preacher? I'm saying this, that, that what we have in this passage is the prophetic delineation of this time period, yet a little while. Paul was looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. We ought to be looking for the coming of Jesus. Christians should have been looking for the coming of Jesus Christ before 1917 or 1921 or 1948. Because the reality is that by the time of the close of Scripture, uh, everything was fulfilled that had to be fulfilled. He could have come back at any moment. You say, but preacher, what about all those things in Scripture that tell us when He's going to come back? Here's the problem with that. The Bible says not even the Son knows when He's coming back. Isn't that what the Bible teaches? Not even the Son knows. Well... Who do you think that is, that Word of God? You see, that's the written Word. He's the living Word. They are synonymous in nature. If the living Word doesn't know, then the written Word doesn't tell. That's simple. If the living Word doesn't know, then the written Word doesn't know. There are no signs for the coming of Jesus Christ, the rapture, uh, the, the, the catching away of the bride and of the church. There's no signs for that. 
Now, we can look around, we can see the problems in this world, and I'm not being dismissive of that. But understand that what's being said here for yet a little while, that's saying a mouthful because that's a prophetic and dispensational statement. That's denoting the times of the Gentiles. I see that it's a statement of prophecy. But notice, secondly, I see that it's a statement of perspective. Perspective for yet a little while. Yet a little while. I don't know if I got you mad or confused. I know I got you quiet, but that's okay. I've learned not to be too awful scared of the quiet. Sometimes God does the best work in the quiet. This is a statement of perspective. Do you know why? Because it don't seem like a little while to us. But you know what the Bible says about the Lord? The Bible says, For a day is as a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is a day. That doesn't mean that we can do some kind of wizardry in math and try to figure out when Jesus is coming back. Now, maybe if it had just said a thousand years is as a day, or if it had just said a day is as a thousand years. But what's Peter trying to convey? He says, listen, there's going to be scoffers in the last days. And these scoffers are going to say, where is the promise of His appearing? Where is the promise? For since of old, the fathers have spoke of it. But where's His promise? And Peter says, don't you worry about them. A day is as a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord's not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, time is a matter of perspective. It don't seem, or it seems like a long time to me and you, but trust me, to God, it's not long at all. Not long at all. He's the God that inhabiteth eternity. In a sense, everything's in the presence of God right now. And so to him, it's not very long at all. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And I promise you this, the moment you step out of time and into eternity, you're going to realize how short a period of time you were here. You're going to realize how short it was. See, this is a statement of perspective, but I also see it's a statement of, pro- or of, uh, of promise. It's a statement of prophecy and perspective, but at the end of the day, it's still saying for yet a little while, we have a promise from God that He that Christ is returning. It gets tough sometimes. I know it does. I feel that way, and I'm sure you feel that way too. You turn on the news, and it looks like the world's falling apart. Sometimes you think to yourself, how bad is it going to get before Jesus comes? I can't answer that question for you. But I can answer this. It don't matter if the whole world shut down with an Ebola outbreak. <laughs> it don't matter if ISIS is in our backyards. It doesn't matter if all the liberals have taken over the the White House and and the Senate House and your doghouse. Jesus is still coming back. He's made us that promise. He said, if I go away, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I know this world looks awful bleak. Listen, we're hooked up to this 24-hour news cycle. There ain't a bad thing happens in this world but what we know about it. (laughs) I know that it seems bleak. But as I understand our times, I understand that no matter what's going on, no matter what happens, Jesus is still coming back. I've heard people say before that, uh, you know, there's nothing as sure as death and taxes. Well, here's the problem. That, that, <laughs> that ignores a political fact and a theological fact. <laughs> because politically, about half this country don't pay taxes. Amen? If you pay taxes, you're part of the other half that's paying for that other half. And theologically, the Bible teaches us that Christ came to deliver those who their entire lifetime were subject to fear through bondage unto death. My plan is to beat death. You say, oh, you're a young man. Well, it's not about being a young man. 
It's about the fact that yet a little while and Jesus is coming back. I hope you beat death with me. I hope you don't have to face it. Now, we've already got the victory over death through Jesus Christ. I'm aware of that. But I mean, I hope we, you and I both don't have to pass through that dark veil. And the fact is, Christ could come back at this very moment. Nothing stopping Him. Nothing prohibiting Him. It's just yet a little while. Yet a little while. How long is that little while? We don't know. Jesus don't know. Now, that's saying something. I can't explain to you all the theological implications of that, but I believe it tonight that not even the Son knows. But I know that the Father knows. And I know that at His perfect timing, He's going to tell His Son, Son, you go fetch your bride. This passage helps me with an understanding of the times. But I would say also that it helps me with a word of encouragement during our trials. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. We live in a day where we need encouragement. We need it. We desperately need encouragement. I, I, I mean, we live in a world that, that, that traffics in despair. We live in a world where, I mean, it, the suicide rate is, is, is remarkable. Marriages are imploding and falling apart left and right. You turn on the news sometimes, you, you read the paper sometimes, and you wonder whether it's you that's crazy or everybody else. We need some encouragement. I would say that we need encouragement in the midst of our political trials as a nation. And boy, if we've ever gone through them, we're going through them today. It's amazing some of the things that our government passes in this country. It is amazing. It is shocking. You, you understand You understand that there's places in this country where, where that bathroom sign don't mean anything to you. You can go in, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, no matter who else is in there, that there are city officials that say, that's okay. If we've ever lived in a confused world, we live in it today. Now, you don't have to be too smart to figure out whether you're a boy or a girl. <laughs> right? Now, if you've been given over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are unseemly, then you may struggle with it. But for the average person, it, it don't, I mean, it don't take too much figuring out. We, we need encouragement. In our, can I say to you tonight that it ain't the president that's going to fix it. it ain't, listen, it, it, ain't, it ain't the donkey and it ain't the elephant. I'm looking for the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to fix it. It ain't, it ain't a congressman. It ain't a president. Sure ain't going to be a czar. <laughs> it's the king of kings. Do you know that the only true valid scriptural government is a, theo a theocracy by way of a monarchy? Now, I'm not advocating we have a monarchy. Because advocate or not, there's a monarchy coming. And that's when things are going to be fixed. It's not going to be straightened out before then. Listen, you, you've, bought the bill, you, you, you've bought the bill of goods if you think that this country politically is going to get straightened out by anything short of the throne of David. It just ain't going to happen. Now, I don't say that to discourage you. I hope, I hope that if Jesus carries a thousand years, I hope we can turn the ship around. But the reality is, it's probably not going to happen. We have, listen, we have, we have given up the majority of this country, to those that would fill their pockets through the ballot box. And our founding fathers said there'd be no turning back once people realized that they could vote themselves into financial wealth. 
what the founding fathers said. But I'm thankful it doesn't matter. (laughs) I'm thankful it doesn't matter. I mean, I don't think we fathom the kind of persecution that we may be facing in this country. But persecution or no, we st- I've read the back of the book. We still have the victory in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can straighten it out. But bless God, He will straighten it out. He will straighten it out. It gives me encouragement in our political trials as a nation. But it gives me encourage in our, encouragement in our public trials as a congregation. Never before, it seems. Do you realize, listen to me, do you realize, me and my wife were talking about this, that it has been uh, probably fifteen to 1,700 years since Christians as a people have been persecuted by the majority of the world. And I'm not talking about true Bible Christianity. I'm talking about quote-unquote Christendom at large. Do you realize that the last time that you were facing at large in the country, not isolated places, but at large in, in, in the world, the last time that you were facing hostility for claiming to be a Christian, basically anywhere in the world, the last time was when they was worshiping in catacombs. But now we live in a day where universally, to claim the name of Christ, whether you're really a Christian or not, just to say you're a Christian brings derision upon yourself. Isn't that true? Well, I know there have always been the, the communist nations that, that sought to stamp out God from their... I understand that, but now it's ever. You name me one country. You name me the country that is the closest, the closest to having a respect for Christianity. What country would it be? Somebody tell me. Closest. America. That's right, America. And yet we're facing a time now where we have allowed people to get in office that I promise you would jail preachers like me and other preachers and would jail you if you took a stand too. I was just reading earlier today, and listen, there, there's, you can waste a lot of time paying attention to headlines that may be true or, or, or may not be. But I think that we'd have to be honest, that if we were to be honest about it, we'd know that there's a general wind of persecution in this country against Christians. Anything that is Christianity uh, there's a person, they're, they're wanting to throw uh, a couple in jail up in Idaho because, now listen now, and you be honest now, tell me if your pastor did not tell you this in the past year. They're wanting to jail a couple in Idaho that run a wedding chapel because they refuse to marry two sodomites. Be honest, has your pastor not told you that it would come to that? That's the day that we live in. I promise you there will be times, it will be in every city in this country, you mark her down, it will be in every city in this country. Now, whether it's enforced or not, we'll just have to pray that God gives us some people that won't enforce it. But I promise you on the books, in every single city in this country, there will come a time when it will be illegal for a pastor to refuse to marry two sodomites. We live in a day of persecution. It seems like everywhere we turn, it's getting harder to work for the Lord. But it gives me great encouragement to know that if we can just hold on a little bit longer, Jesus is coming back soon. Jesus, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season, here's another idiom, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. Understand that though we may feel like a persecuted group, though we may feel like we're holed up in the barn and the hay's on fire, understand that Jesus is coming soon. Gives me encouragement in our personal or our public trials as a congregation, but it gives me encouragement in our personal trials as a Christian. 
Do you understand that as a Christian, you're going to battle the flesh until the day that Jesus comes to you or the day that you go to Him? It's just a reality. We still have this vile body. We still battle the flesh. The flesh, the flesh listen now, the flesh can never be sanctified. It has to be transformed. You can never, through good works, make your flesh anything but rottenness. The Bible said, Paul said, for in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And sometimes it feels as though it's all uphill, doesn't it? To try to do right, to try to serve the Lord, to try to please God. It seems as though it's like a, a hundred pound boulder being laced around your neck and trying to run a race with it. But can I encourage you, dear friend? Don't give up. You know why? Because there's coming a day, Paul said, he'll change our vile body like unto his glorious body. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, we shall all be changed, the Word of God says. You'll not have to face and fight the conflict of the flesh any longer. You'll not have to face and to fight the difficulty of trying to live for Christ in this present evil world. There's coming a day, and it encourages me greatly to know there's coming a day when I won't have to fight this flesh anymore. This passage gives me encouragement in the midst of our trials. But can I give you one final thing? I find in this passage an understanding of the times and an encouragement in our trials. But I would say that this passage gives to me an urgency in our toiling. An urgency in our toiling. Yet a little while, yet a little while, and he that shall come will come. Do you understand, first off, that his appearing is soon? Soon. Soon. You say, how do you know it's soon? Because it's upon us. That's the word imminent. Upon us. Now, it may be upon us for another thousand years. We do not know. But here's the funny thing about it. The funny thing about how the human heart works is that until the human heart grasps that it could be at any moment, it will continue to operate as though it never will be. Did you get that? Until the human heart grabs hold of the truth that it could be at any moment, it will continue to operate under the illusion that it will never be. We have to understand that His appearing could happen at any moment. You understand, your life could be done. Your life could be done before we say the final amen tonight. Your opportunity could be over with. Not only is His appearing soon, but our opportunity is short. You understand that there's nothing you can do after that moment. Nothing. This is your window of time. If you're going to serve God, you better do it now. Because Jesus is coming back. If you're going to listen, if you're going to become a prayer warrior, you better do it now. Because Jesus is coming back. Oh, what regret we'd feel at the judgment seat of Christ were Jesus to come back tonight. How many tasks would be left unfinished? How many prayers would have been left unprayed? How many good intentions would have wilted away as time closed and eternity began? I wonder how many of us have intentions of trying to get that loved one in before it's everlasting too late. Could I tell you that Jesus is coming soon? You better do it now. Now. Now's the time to get faithful. 
Some of you that have a couple years on you, you can testify this to some of these younger folks, that there's never a convenient time to serve God. Never a convenient time. You don't find the time for God, you make the time for God. Isn't that true? You don't find the time, you make the time. Because if you're just trusting to find the time, you'll never find it. You've got to make the time. And could I say to you that some of you can testify this is true. There's lots. You intended on getting serious a lot more years before you ever got serious. You intended on it. Had every intention of getting serious. Let me just get through high school, get through college. Let me just get married. Let me just get a house. Let me just get a kid or two. And then we'll settle down. You know what you found out by the time you got all that done? You, you'd paid so much attention to the getting there that you got there and missed the getting there. The truth is, your opportunity is short. You better serve Christ now. Because this is the only time you get. I see that our opportunity is short. And then finally, and I'm done, I see that our impact will be settled. Settled. Once Jesus comes back, that's it. That's it. Man, doesn't that grip us tonight? Shouldn't it? Shouldn't it grip us? I, you know, I'm afraid sometimes, and I'm guilty of this, like I'd say you probably are too. I, I, I fear that sometimes we get to sitting in the pews and we get to listen to the message and we get in our theological mindset and we turn the hearing aid off and, and we just sit there and listen, listen, listen to the voice droning on, just waiting for the invitation to come. Break yourself out of that trance for just a moment and stop and think, shouldn't it shake us that Jesus could come back right now and what work would be left undone? Just undone. Just never accomplished. wonder how many of us would have neighbors that we've never told about Jesus Christ if Jesus came back tonight. Co-workers that we've never told. Folks that God has burdened our heart with. wonder how many of us would have things in our house We'd be ashamed of if Jesus came back tonight. You better understand when He returns. When will that be, preacher? It could be at any moment. For yet a little while. It could be at any moment. And if He was to come back tonight, that'd be it. That'd be it. There'd be no do-overs. There'd be no, let's rewind the tape, let's try her again. That's it. Are you satisfied with your life? That's not an academic question. Because that very well could happen. That's not, that's not academic. That could happen tonight. Are you satisfied? Say, preacher, if I was to be honest, and most folks would be about this. You know, it's like when you ask folks if they're sinners. You know what they always say? They always say, well, you know, I'm worse than some, better than others. And that's how we think about our service for Jesus Christ. We get real critical of the lost sinner for acting that way, but we get that way about our service to Him. And if I was to say, would you have done everything that you've wanted to do? You'd say, well, not everything. Be honest. Well, not, not everything. Well, understand that it could be over tonight. And whatever you've done will be what you've done. That loved one you're praying for, that loved one that God's burdened your heart with, you better get serious about it. Because Jesus could come back tonight. I don't say it to scare you. I don't have to scare you. That's the truth, whether it scares you or not. I'm not saying it to scare you. If I was saying it to scare you, I'd probably say something a lot harsher. <laughs> Amen. It's an encouragement to know that Jesus is coming back. But it ought to give us an urgency to know that our opportunity to win people to Christ, to, to be a witness, to be a testament, our opportunity to get our house in order, 
Our opportunity for our family to serve God. Our opportunity to get serious about our walk with Him. It's right now. And it's going away. So what have you done? And more importantly, what will you do? What will you do? You've got two choices with this tonight. You can either listen to it and say, Oh, preacher, that was good. Praise the Lord, that was good. I enjoyed that. I needed it. And all the while knowing that you're not going to change anything about your life. Or, you can determine you are going to get serious tonight. By God's help, by His grace. To say, I don't want to be caught unprepared at the coming of Jesus Christ. You know, it's not just a matter of salvation and being prepared for His coming. In fact, most of the time in parables, when his, when his coming is spoken of, the context is not that of sinners being left out. It's that of saints not having served Him like they ought to. Go through the parable of the, uh, of the talents that were given and, and, and the parable of uh, the man that went on a far journey. And you'll find every one of them, it seems like the context, is of workers that haven't been working. Preparation for His return has a lot more to do with than just whether you're saved or not. Lots of folks are saved tonight. And when He returns, they're going with Him. But they're nowhere near prepared for His return. They're not living like He's coming back. They're not serious about it. They're still playing games. Tonight, you can make up your mind, I'm going to get serious. And listen, some of you are sitting there thinking to yourself, and the devil's telling you, don't even bother going to that altar. You just know you're going to mess up again. That's what he's telling you. Don't even bother going down to that altar and being a fool because you're going to mess up again. Yeah, you are going to mess up, but can I promise you something? You're sure not going to get it right by stubbing up and staying where you're at. That's not going to fix it. See, the truth is this, and I hate to sound trite and, and, and cliched, but the truth is those that succeed don't do it by never approaching risk. They do it by determining to get up even after they've failed. Oh, you're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. We're all going to be hypocrites before this thing's done. You know that. Every one of us. But we become a successful Christian by determining that we're not too afraid of the risk to put our faith in God and trust Him to make up for what we do not have. And determining to say, Lord, I know I'm probably going to fail. And I may not walk with you the day after tomorrow, but Lord, help me to walk with you tomorrow. I may not walk with you tomorrow, but Lord, help me to walk with you today. God, I may not walk with you tonight. I may fail in the infirmity of the flesh, but Lord, help me to walk with you in this very moment. You'll find that our lives are made up of moments. Moments that we've either grasped to ourselves or moments that we've given to Christ. Can I encourage you to take this next moment and give it to Jesus Christ? Can I encourage, don't, don't worry about six weeks in the future. You just worry about tomorrow. Are you serving Him tomorrow? Don't, don't make promises. There's no sense in making promises that you can't keep that God knows you're going to break anyhow. Just say, Lord, help me. Help me to serve you tomorrow. Help me to serve you tomorrow. Say, what do I do tomorrow? You serve Him and then you pray and ask Him to help you for the next day. And then the day after that and then the day after that, you serve Him day by day. Don't be, don't be scared of getting things settled tonight because you're afraid you're going to mess up. You don't worry about six weeks. You just worry about tomorrow. Worry about tomorrow.